I'm Marvin. And I'm Holly. And this is the Balboa Horizons podcast. Today I'm here with Holly Hahn. She's the clinical director for Balboa Horizons. Holly, you've been doing this for over 20 years. What keeps you going? Oh, gosh. So many things, Marvin. I, I, you know, you hear this a lot from therapists, and I, I know it can be kind of over overdone in a way. But I think that we get the profound privilege as therapists of working with people who are struggling with addiction, trying to get break kind of those chains and get a true sense of inner freedom. And to be a part of that process, I, I just couldn't ask for anything better. You may have sometimes a very minimal part in that process with somebody, or you may be a very kind of key component of that. But I've often equated it to almost seeing a, a, a flower bloom and just being kind of on the on the the uh, sidelines watching that. I mean, it, again, it's a it's a place of profound privilege. So you do it for the feeling. Yeah, in many respects. In the yeah. sense, and and alcoholics and addicts, they they do it for the feelings that they get or mm-hmm. push down. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that those are the, the rewards that you don't count on when you do this work. You know, and it's those rewards. I mean, there are very difficult days, as you know, um, working in this profession and, and with this clientele. Um, but I also think that the rewards are in proportion to those difficult days. Mm-hmm. You know, to see people have realizations or change lifelong behaviors I don't care if it's just for a day to see that that kind of dawn break, if you will, through through the clouds is just amazing. It, it continues to amaze me 20 years later. And so you've worked in the court systems as well? I have. I worked for about 13 years in a program called Drug Court. So you've seen a lot of things. Yeah, got all kinds of stories. So. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your most ideal client to work with? You know, I, I don't know. Do you have an ideal client? I, you know, I, I, I don't. Um, there are certain clients that are easier for me, certain clients that are more difficult. Um, but there is no real ideal client. I, I wish that I could, could say that there was. A long time ago, one of the things that, that I was taught in drug court, I, as, a, as a younger therapist, I thought I could go in and I would have this based on research and clinical data and just my own experience, I was gonna put together some sort of formula to really find what that ideal client is. Who is that client who I can look at and plug into this formula (laughs) who's gonna come out at the end of it, they're gonna be spit out shiny and new. A cookie cutter approach. cookie cutter. And then also, I was also more trying to formulate who's going to fail. Hmm. And I will tell you one client in particular absolutely changed my mind about that. That we ultimately, there is no formula because there is never a formula as good as research gets that will boil down human will that Mm -hmm. way. And, And so this particular client absolutely changed my mind about who's going to be successful and who's going to be a failure. I just don't know. Wow. Yeah, it was it was a very profound experience. Well, and you were me. fairly, I guess, fairly new. I was.
was probably maybe four or five years. Maybe. So some experience under you. Yeah, yeah. But still trying to find that oh, magic yeah. bullet. Absolutely. That everyone looks for. Yeah, yeah. This is going to be it. Totally elusive. Yeah. <laughs> and again, it was that idea of I'm going to be able to, to particularly predict, especially in the court system, you know, mm-hmm. when we're taking people out of custody. Like, who, who are we going to... Who's who's going to make the best use of our resources? Yeah. And I had clients who looked great on paper who ultimately didn't complete the program. Um, and clients who looked dismal on paper who completely changed their lives. And, you know, 10, 15 years later, they're still sober. And, and just vital parts of of whatever community they, they call their own. Yeah. Yeah, profoundly moving to me. So as our clinical director... <laughs> You get to see a lot of things. Uh, mm-hmm. People come in here broken, afraid, confused, mm-hmm. um, a lot of trauma in their past. What do you do with them to be able to build them up and to, to get that reward that you were talking about earlier? What do I specifically do yeah. as, as a clinical director? Absolutely, yeah. So I think that Balboa does a lot of things very well, but... Part of the reason that I took this job was because of the community here at Balboa, the community that is comprised of our clinical staff, our clerical staff, admissions, our support staff, our alumni. That is the strength to me of Balboa Horizons. And I think that the the reason I, I say that in terms of what do I do with somebody, I think our primary focus is to obviously ascertain what what has brought that particular individual to this place in their lives? All addicts have things in common, but we also need to speak to each person's unique identity, trauma, what, whatever that is. And I think that what we do well is to speak to those both communal and individual needs to design a treatment plan that is appropriate to that person. And then in the meantime, getting them into our Balboa community and, and a larger community. So it's it's individualized, case-by-case case kind of basis. It really is. I, I wish, you know, again, that desire for a cookie cutter, like this is what we do. And, and certainly I could take you this through the steps of what we do. Yeah. But I think on a more kind of esoteric level, that that's, that's what we're trying to accomplish. Okay. It's remarkable seeing some of the clients that we have that come in from day one kicking, screaming, fighting it the whole way. Yeah. And then on day 90, they're a different person. Oh, yeah. And they've, they've started to make reparations, you know, where they've tried to started to repair relationships with family. Um, they see themselves in a different light. You know, I mean, how many times have we seen, a, a, you know, we were just talking about that a treatment team, a guy who didn't really even want to go to detox. And he thought uh, he's being kind of pushed into it by his family. And at the end of his stay, and this is only a four or five day stay, maybe I should consider residential. And then it's, okay, maybe I'll stay a week longer. And that transformation begins. Well, it begins the day that they say, okay, let me go into detox. Even if they're, (laughs) I mean, just whacked out of their minds. (laughs) How do you know when you got them? I think that, you know, what you start to see is a greater capacity for reflection. Hmm. I would say that that is what changes over time. There's a lot of things. I mean, people might pay more attention to their 
hygiene. Mm -hmm. They might be less irritable. They might be more helpful. They might call their, their child that they haven't called in, you know, months. So we see those behavioral things, but psychologically and emotionally, I would say that that is the biggest kind of biggest change that you start to see more, you know, where they might have an argument with a resident and be able to reflect on, hmm, what did I contribute to this? So they start looking at their own self instead of typical addict, alcoholic behavior. Which is behaviors. externalized behavior. You know, we're, we're wanting to shift the, the focus from the external to the internal. We will always be affected by external events. No, nobody's immune to that. But when we can truly look at ourselves take responsibility for what is ours. We get to take responsibility for both the bad and the good then. Because if we can't take responsibility for the bad things that we've done, we don't get to take credit for the good things that we've done. Yeah. And, and life is just not lived very well that way. Yeah. So speaking of course, and you mentioned that earlier, um, just, I think it was yesterday, the mm -hmm. Orange County District Attorney arrested uh, I want to say 10 individuals mm -hmm. for body brokering, naltrexone implants and surgeries and insurance fraud. One of the guys looking at 43 years. How do you think that's contributed to our industry and overall, and as well as like the client census that you see going into treatment, people leaving treatment, mm -hmm. do you think it's correlated in any way? Sure. I, I think that the industry in general has a black eye. Um, and the, the public at large cannot, how are they supposed to vet any particular rehab? All rehabs are saying, we're the one, we're good. And I think that I, I'm, I'm glad that we are starting to prosecute people because you are taking advantage of one of the most vulnerable populations out there. I, I think it is deplorable. I'm in agreement with you. It's it's sickening. I've heard stories of body brokers actually paying clients money to go into a treatment center and pay everyone that's in that in right. that center to get up and leave, go get high, and then go to another treatment right. center. It's, yeah, you know, and mm -hmm. and they they can't see it. I don't... Yeah, and and I well, the client certainly can't see it because they're looking at the immediate reward, which is often monetary. But the people who are doing it, obviously, uh, I mean, I think they definitely see their behavior and quite frankly don't care. Hmm. Um, I, I think it, I mean, you talk about kind of the ultimate definition of selfishness is really harming others for, for one's own gain. Yeah. Um, call that lots of things. Um, but I, I do think that the industry, you know, it, it, there's been insurance fraud for a number of years. And I think... Part of what we see as a backlash, and I, I understand that insurance companies need to crack down on that behavior. However, unfortunately, the good guys get caught in that suite. So it is harder to, to get insurance companies to pay for treatment, even if you are an ethical organization mm -hmm. like we are. Um, so I think we have to struggle more and we have to work harder yeah. to get people to access benefits um, for the duration of time that is necessary for them to, yeah. to truly recover. If you were to say something to a family member, let's say they're looking for treatment for their loved one, their, their son or daughter, what would you say to them to find a good place to go? I, I know in, when I was in admissions here, mm -hmm. uh, we were instructed to, you know, 
assess the situation, what, what's been going on with them, mm-hmm. find out you know, if, if there's any underlying issues, uh, mm-hmm. mental health disorders or anything like that, and then make sure that we would be appropriate for, mm-hmm. for them. Mm-hmm. And then if we weren't, give them some referrals to reputable places that we've already vetted. Right. I mean, other than that, is there anything else that a parent can do for their son or daughter that, you know, may be struggling? I know you and I were talking about this a few weeks ago. I would highly recommend for anybody who is seeking treatment, even if this is a multiple treatments, maybe your, your son or daughter is on their third or fourth treatment, I would highly recommend to you reading the book Inside Rehab which gives you a really good, I think, research-based approach to how to choose a good rehab. Some of the things that the author cites are that I would recommend in general is that you obviously should look at the record of that treatment facility, not just on Yelp, but do they have any complaints against them? Any good treatment facility should have therapy as just a part of that treatment. There, there are still a fair amount of residential facilities who do not include therapy yeah which is a bit surprising to me in this day Um, but that should absolutely be part of that program the program while it should it should have some kind of self-help component whether that is 12 steps or smart recovery rational recovery that should be not be the cornerstone of that treatment center Mm -hmm. if it is i think that underlying mental health problems will go untreated. And if you're going to treat addiction, you are going to treat trauma. The percentages of people who are traumatized, who turn into addicts is incredibly high. So if you do, you do not have that capability in that center, you should, you should look elsewhere. You know, I always say, when I give referrals for a therapist, we are taught in school, and I think it's a good practice, Give people three referrals. Look at different facilities. Talk to different people. Good facilities should offer you a tour. Nothing should be secret. You should be able to look at those facilities. Obviously, we have to protect client confidentiality and those things. But you should be able to go and look. You should be able to talk to people. I mean, you are entrusting them with you know, the life of your, of your loved one. And you deserve to have that degree of professionalism and respect. Holly, I want to thank you for joining us today. That's all we have. I'm Marvin. And I'm Holly. And that's the Balboa Horizons podcast.